This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Please send me a text, 2057. Email me, inbox at readilycheck.radio. Got one of my all-time favorites coming up. Oh, I say that with others too, don't I? But it's Roe Edge, whose Twitter, if you're not on Twitter, or X as we call it, you have to get on it. And a good reason for getting on it alone is to follow Roe Edge on Twitter because, man, I just love your tweets, Ro. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I feel pressure now every time I tweet. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I didn't mean uh, no, to do No, no, I don't. I'm just joking. No, no, I, thank Well, you. It's, it's, it's so interesting because it's quite hard to have a comprehensive view of the news, and there are issues that interest us. And, I mean, I used to read the newspaper from front to back. I used to listen to the radio news. This is long before I was in politics, on the hour, and certainly, you know, the morning report, the midday news, the evening report. I'd watch the news um, front and back. I'd buy the weekly news magazines, and I would read them through. I would read things that I weren't interested in because I thought, well, there's maybe something in here that I need to know. And I always felt that I was worldly because I read the news. I can't be bothered going online and sort of reading the news, I sort of flick over the headlines and it just drains me of the will to, to, well, to it, read. Well, it's, it's no longer news, it's propaganda. Yes. I mean, I, and I'm so, from a newspaper family, so I was similar to you. Like I read uh, the newspapers all the time. I watch evening news. Uh, Sometimes I'd record one and watch the other and then yes, watch the, the one I'd recorded. Like, too. seriously, <laughs> I was a complete news nut. Now I am the total opposite. <laughs> well, no, it's not that, actually. It's just that I've worked out where I believe I can get trustworthy news from, and it's not our mainstream legacy media. No. And so I find I'm very interested in the issues that you're onto, this whole issue of womanhood and manhood and the difference between the two and the need to protect women's sport and women's private spaces. Um, and I couldn't be bothered sort of reading stuff for NZ Hill to find out what's happening, but I follow you on Twitter and I get this overview of what's happening around the world, what people are saying, and what's coming up in New Zealand. And I do that for everything now. And I, I follow people on Twitter. I don't, I've never written a Twitter post. And I find that I, that's now how I keep up. So thank you for that. I feel as though you're scanning the world's news and sources and curating it personally for me. <laughs> and I feel abreast of the issues. And it, it's such a wonderful service. So thank you. I really do genuinely mean that. There are people that I follow on Twitter, and I, not all of them, not all of them are Kiwis. And you feel the need to thank them because um, you keep me up to date, keep me informed, and you write well. So thank you. I didn't realize that you had a news background in your well, family. Well, not me personally, but family, yeah. Yes. Um, great-great-grandfather started a newspaper that yeah went right through to my mother's generation. My mother was, um, she ran a newspaper in Otrahonga and Tukawiti. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, and so she finally sold the family newspaper after generations, gosh, must have been about 10, 15 years ago. So, yeah. What was the big, paper? Big um, it started off the King Country Chronicle, and then it was the Waitomo News. I remember the Waitomo yeah. News. 
Yeah. Oh, there was the Otrahonga Times at one stage as well. Like there was two newspapers and it went to one. Yeah. And and who started it in your family? Um, great great grandfather. In fact, there was. Oh, look, I'm not very good when I get to the greats, but um, one of the my original descendants in New Zealand started a paper down in Invercargill, I think. So yeah, started the first newspaper down there, and it's still going. I understand. Isn't that something? Great great whatever. Single yeah, no, I lose track. I'm not very good. <laughs> um. Oh well, you know. Well, thank you for that. And this is what caught my eye, and and while you're on, because. Tell us, it was about what had happened with, what's the name of the bill now, the Act? The Integrity, Sport and Recreation Bill. It's a mouthful, Integrity, Sports and Recreation Bill. It's a standalone piece of legislation. Yeah, it is. So what it was doing was bringing in um, the drug-free sport, so like, you know, making sure that there was no doping in sport, drug-free sport, but also creating an integrity commission to deal with issues that sports are dealing with on an ongoing basis. So, Ah. yeah, so try to give some protections to athletes, some channels for communication and and for helping them sort out issues within their sports so that they, the sports had somebody to go to, but athletes had somebody to go to as well. So this is um, picking up not just drugs, but also, I guess, the issue of young athletes being bullied, um, young athletes not being looked after. Protecting their well-being. Yeah, right. and, and also the fa- apparently this is the joke of it, their well-being and the fairness of competition, Grant Robertson said. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, he allows males to yeah. participate in female sports. So really it's only the fairness of competition for certain groups, not women and girls. So I get the idea of the bill, and you would say this is a good idea because young athletes can be terrifically abused yeah. and have been. And um, we can also have that sort of soft, what would you call it, corruption in sport, whereby a favoured young athlete um, is allowed to progress because of politics, their mum or their dad or someone special in the sports and community. And another athlete could be better, but be shunted aside. Um, We've all seen that happen at the top end of sport. So this is a good thing. But what happened? So what happened? So the bill comes out and like during the review, like women were named in all the objectives and we were key stakeholders. Sorry, reminder come up. Um, You know, we were labelled as being vulnerable and likely to be high users of this commission. And the bill comes out and women and girls are completely erased. We're not there. But of course, our rainbow community is. Māori, Pacifica, everybody but women and girls, right? And so we... Yeah, we basically, you know, women were central to the problem the bill was trying, purported that it was trying Mm. to fix, and then Mm. we were just completely taken out. So during the select committee process, Save Women Sport Australasia and and a number of others speak up for women and a whole lot of other submitters that submitted in support of our submission basically presented to the select committee, and luckily the select committee wasn't full of activists apart from Ricardo March, but the rest of them were actually quite... Good. You know, it was the first select committee under this government where I have submitted and actually felt listened to. Michael Woodhouse was on there. He was excellent. Um, And so when it went through the select committee process, they ended up deciding to re-include women or to include women and girls in there. And we're like, yay, we've finally had a win with this government. It was like, woohoo. And I know that I'm guilty of um, 
overpraising you, but I to prepare for this interview, I read your submission, and it was very good. It was clear, straightforward, and short. I think it was two pages. So um, it was an excellent submission. So you gave that. Did you give it in person or via Zoom? Uh, via Zoom, mm. yeah. So that's a great thing now because you can go onto a select committee and give a submission without actually having to give up a couple of days and fly to Wellington. Yeah, no, it is. I think it's a really good process. Yeah. Mm. And do, it's a really good process. Do you know who the chair was, you recall? Oh, gosh, no. Doesn't I should, matter. Yeah, no, I can't recall. And so you thought, okay, the select committee's taken this on board, women and girls are back in, and then what happened? Yeah, and then it went to its final reading, and all of a sudden, this. Also, oh, during the um, the parliamentary debates on it, Nicole McKee had actually brought up the fact that women and girls were missing and needed to be included, but also that a female athlete should be a commissioner, like basically on the the Integrity Sport and Recreation Commission, to, to ensure that they had really good representation. That didn't happen. But just after, after Select Committee, when it was just finally going in to be passed through Parliament, Ricardo March added in that there had to be a Rainbow Commissioner appointed, compulsory Rainbow Commissioner, so that the Rainbow community had fair representation. So they just when we thought that we had a bill finally that would reflect the rights of everybody and not be slanted or biased in any way, they stacked the deck in their favour yet again at the last moment with zero consultation. And under urgency. And under urgency, yep. So there was no ability for anybody to debate it. They just pushed it through as they do, <laughs> completely undemocratic. And, of course, <clears throat> that's the wonderful thing about words like fairness and integrity because fairness and integrity to, do you, to you and I means separate women's category to men. Mm. But to Grant and whatever that other guy's called. Ricardo. Uh, Ricardo. To them, integrity and fairness means if you're, I get it all mixed up, if you're a trans woman, i.e. you're a man with a penis, sorry to use that word, but it's the only way I can get around this, but you say you're a woman, you're then a trans woman, right? Is that right? I refuse to use that language anymore, and that was a okay. mistake that we made at the beginning. So I just say males who identify as transgender. Okay. So if you're a male, their, their view is, that's a great way because it saves using the P word, which is a little disgusting over morning tea. <laughs> if you're, if you're a, a male who identifies as transgender, that's great. Thank you. To them, it's only fear and a matter of integrity that they can enter a woman's sport. So they upend the language, don't they? Yeah, they do, and that's what they did at the beginning. And, yeah, we were guilty of buying into it as well and trying to be kind and considerate, and so we used their language. But by using their language, you make it hard to argue your case because if trans woman, like when you say trans woman, people hear woman. And if you say trans women aren't allowed in female spaces, then or women's spaces, you're like, well, why not? But as soon as you say males aren't allowed in women's spaces, well, yeah, that's just it's the obvious, right? That is funny, isn't it? Because yes, I get that. Because and it's 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 been a thing that 
amongst everyday people who haven't followed this, it feels like just another step on the road to treating everyone equally. That is to say, um, we're not going to lock you up because you're homosexual. You've got the same rights as everyone else. And everyone's got to a point where, well, that seems reasonable, whatever, you know, whatever floats your boat sort of thing. Not something I agree with anymore, but there you go. That's where we've got to. Then this is just another step because you use the words trans woman. And when I test people on this, they don't know what a trans woman is. No, and a lot of people think that trans men are actually men as well. Like people get yes. really confused over the language, but they, they've done that on purpose. Yes, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's superbly if you're confused, brilliant. Then you won't speak about the issue. And if you don't speak about the issue, that allows them to just plow their crap through without debate. Yes, got mm. it. A, um, a male who's transgender. Yeah. Got it. Hey, somebody that doesn't mind speaking about penises, though, which I thought was hilarious, Winston Peters in the yeah. last week, basically coming out saying that no penises should be in women's spaces. And I was like, hooray, finally a politician who has the guts to say what needs to be said, which has been brilliant. I've been reflecting on that a lot myself. And I'll, as, as, as they say in America, I'll circle back on that. Um, because following that, Christopher Luxon, the leader of the National Party, upset me so deeply, I think it might be irrevocable. <laughs> well, it is for me. Him and because, Yes, because he said that if you're thinking that men going into girls' toilets is an election issue or a big issue this election, you're on another planet. Now, yeah, what I really hated about that, though, too, is he took the whole argument to back to being just about bathrooms and women just being mean for not wanting men in their bathrooms. Like, you know, he made he took what is a yes. really, really big issue and he tried to minimize it to just being about bathrooms yes. to make it a non-issue. And like that was totally insulting. Totally insulting. Absolutely insulting. It was deathly. Yeah. And I mean, he was already eye on my list, along with Mr. Seymour, i got to say, because of the mandates and the lockdowns. But, you know, I can almost, I can sort of understand that because it's complicated. But this isn't complicated. This is men in going into my daughters, my young girls' private spaces and stripping naked. And not only stripping naked, but we know now, I didn't know this to begin with, they're getting off on it. Yeah, they are, unfortunately. It's a sexual thing, right? For a lot of these guys, maybe all of them, it's a sexual thing. So this is terrible. This is terrifying to me. And it's happening at, you know, schools now, right now. Mm. And Christopher Luxon says, ah, you're on another planet. Yeah, and Nicola now, Willis was no better. She was on a radio interview earlier in the week, and she basically said, look, it's not an issue. It hasn't happened to me and my girls. Therefore, you know, if if I don't see it, then I, there's no point dealing with it. So she basically implied, and I mightn't have got that completely accurate, but that's what it sounded like to me. She basically implied that unless she, she or her family were impacted, that it wasn't worth her spending any time discussing 
which was completely insulting. Amongst men folk who are my era and who don't have young children now, and I'm fortunate to have young children now, they think I am totally obsessed by this because they haven't experienced it. Their kids are in their 20s or 30s. No, but their grandchildren are going to be impacted by this. Yes. And when you actually explain it to them or give them a particular example, they are truly horrified. Mm. Now, I've got a theory, and this is where I circle back to Winston. I thought to myself, it's that great phrase that we have now about reading the room. And I thought Winston's read the room brilliantly, right? And Christopher Luxon has read it appallingly badly. Yeah, he's so focused on pandering to votes that he's unlikely to get that he's willing to give up votes that he already had. Well, my theory is this. Winston, amazingly, <laughs> it's, it's a comeback kid. He's oh, been, he, he spent a lot of time out of Parliament, and he's just had three years out of Parliament. And funnily enough, even when he's in Parliament, he's not really of it. He spends a lot of time outside of Parliament in the sense that, well, to put it bluntly, he's extremely lazy. And someone who's working hard, you naturally spend a lot of time in Parliament working on legislation, engaged in the debates, engaged in the wheeling and dealing. Winston doesn't do any of that. Uh, He'll be off somewhere. And, of course, he's been off somewhere for three years. And so he's out and about in the community. And Mr. Luxon, he's right in Parliament. He's a hands-on guy. He's a chief executive. He's like I was. You know, you you you, you are in the machinery of, of the bowels of the beast, in the government, doing the government thing, doing the politics, hanging with your advisors, hanging with your colleagues, sort of working out where everyone is. You, you're in the machinery. And the machinery captures you and runs you. And i got a theory that says there's been a big shift in New Zealand, out in voter land. I don't know, and I don't know how big it is, but I end up talking to people who agree with me naturally enough, you know, because when I meet someone who's, well, the RCR family are different to the non-RCR family. And so the RCR family is who I'm talking to, you know, not just on on this radio, but out and about. And we have shifted. You know, the, the issues that we see are big isn't what the tax rate is, isn't where the government's going to spend more or spend this. We've got big constitutional. Societal. And cultural mm. and societal issues like do we allow men uh, into um, women's sport, yes or no? Uh, are we going to treat every New Zealander as equal, irregardless of their great 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 granddad's ethnicity, yes or no? The, these to us, are we going to have? Are we going to force Kiwis to take medicine that we think is a good idea as a government that they take, yes or no? There's three. Um, yeah. If if you don't pick that up, 
you're missing a big thing in the electorate, I think. Well, what's really interesting is, I don't know if you've heard, but the two major parties now, the, the polling rates for the percentages for the two major parties have never been so low. So that tells us it's not just a small group. No. Are disenfranchised no. and feel like the that national and labour no longer speak for them or represent them. It's actually a vast majority of people because yes. yeah they are losing support to minor parties. I guess the big risk this election is that we that you know all these really small parties votes are wasted on and we don't actually get the needed change in government, which is why it's such a shame that yeah we have so much. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that, and I'll 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 give you a view of that. But let me just say, all of these, all the parties that are in parliament now, refuse to meet with the protesters. Yeah, and that protest was big, and had a lot of support, and so they completely misread it, and. That protest group was across political lines. There were Greens there, there were Acts there, there were Marxists there, there were Libertarians there. Across racial lines, across every line, there were um, deeply committed Christians, there were total atheists, there were Harry Krishnas, there was everything. It was a cross-section, but they, they were a big chunk. And these existing political parties just denigrated us. Winston Peters, being an outsider, recognised the opportunity. And I, I struggle to say he did it out of principle, if you know what I mean. But because he's an outsider, he could see it. Christopher Luxon couldn't. Christopher Luxon and David Seymour had a wonderful opportunity then, but they played the, they played the Wellington beehive complex view. Mm. Yeah, it was very disappointing. And the journalist view. And so that's what we're struggling with here, Ro. Um, so we – and I, I, here's my thought about the smaller parties. I think you should vote for the party that you like, no matter whether it has a chance to get in or not. Because it's like a referendum. And your vote's not registered, is not wasted just because your particular party doesn't get into parliament. It's wasted in the sense that it didn't help to change the government or to keep a government, depending on how you look at it. But you've signaled in the most profound way that you can what you support. And for example, when I was in parliament there were a couple of christian parties running with various names and together they might poll five or six percent we would be sitting there as mps and politicians and we'd be saying gee that's significant because there were always two of them they never got over the five but that was a significant vote to any party that's a difference between national being government and labor being government because mm. mmp travels very finely. Two or three percent is a big win. Political parties looked at those votes and thought, we want them. They also knew 
that if the Christian parties, I'm picking on them because um, it's a good, definite example. I'm not just saying because a Christian could be a Green Party, it could be a you know anti-immigration party, whatever. Because they're getting five or six percent, we know their true support is even higher than that. Because there's a lot of people not prepared to vote for them. Mm, that's a very good point. And yeah. so you'd say to yourself, "Whoa." Um, I'd quite and, like those voters voting for my party. Yes. And so let's be careful about how we treat the issues that concern them because there are votes there. Now, if you're the ACT Party sitting on 2% trying to get to 5 it's a big deal. If you're the Labour or the National Party sitting on 30 trying to get to 35 it's a big deal. And then they don't dismiss them. So the funny thing is, I sort of don't buy the wasted vote line. Yeah, no, I get. I hadn't ever thought of it that, like that before. I guess you're looking at it from the political side, where you know how you value those votes. It's, yeah, yeah. So I mean, let's imagine this. Let's imagine we have five parties running around, um, opposing mandates and wanting medical freedom, and they gather up three percent of the vote. It's a significant vote. It's like a referendum. So I, I don't. I that's 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 how I look at it. Um, because in a funny way, in this election, we don't really care. Well, personally, I don't like this government, but I'm not excited about a change of government. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I'm so know, sick of so, Labour. I'm we so, so need sick of the Greens. <laughs> yeah. But, the, 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 but will it deliver anything fundamentally different is the question, isn't it? And, yeah, I guess that's Well, where... I feel on – let's just take this issue. Let's just – because, you know, the Sports Integrity Bill, or whatever it's called at now, it's such a complicated thing, but, you know, we know what we mean. Whether, whether we're going to have, as of right, men who are transgender entering women's sports – I'm doing it. Men who are transgender That's in women's sport. I can imagine that Christopher Luxon and the ACT Party make it this election. I think definitely Winston Peters is back. Okay. They may they yep. may not they may not need him. They get in, and I can imagine they'll apply the brakes to everything. So there'll be the brakes will be applied to men who identify as transgender getting into sport and you'll go, yay. And the breaks will be applied to the further furtherment of co-governments. You go, yay. But fundamentally, it won't be reversed. Yeah, well, and interesting. ACT have said, like, you know, thanks to Winston coming out, ACT have said that the next parliament has to revisit the laws like the um, the Human Rights Act to basically specify that women, women and girls mean just that and that our protections are necessary in some spaces and places. And also the BDMR bill, which is the sex self-ID legislation, you know, they said they voted for it at the time thinking it was a really positive thing, but now they can see that there are problems with it that need to be addressed. So I do have faith, but it's only thanks to Winston, and I wonder if ACT would have come out with this had it not been for Winston coming out so strongly. Well, there's again uh, a favour of third-party support yep. that aren't necessarily yeah, going to make it and be the wasted vote. Um, 
you feel as though because neither act nor national are putting a line in the sand and saying this is right and this is wrong, that it's all just going to be a bit of a handbrake because we've been rushing headlong over the cliff and we'll apply a handbrake and we'll sit at the top of the cliff teetering. And then we know what happens. Mm. National and that get voted out. And on it goes. And the cultural slide, the cultural, the the cultural issues that we're in have not been reversed. And that's why changing government is a good thing because it applies the handbrake. But it's not what I want. And that's why I don't think we should be thinking just in terms of a wasted vote. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I do wonder if this election it will be different, though, because previous elections, you know, National and Labour have had by far the majority portion of the vote. This time, you know, ACT could potentially get within sort of 10% of, of National. You know, they're going to be a much stronger um, proportion of Parliament. So, therefore... The push to more for more radical change might be there because National have been guilty of just coming in, not doing anything, settling everything down, just you know putting us on a steady course, but not correcting anything that the left has done that has been detrimental to society. And so we've just done this veer left for decades now. Whereas, yeah, I do believe having a larger proportion of act within. The government will mean that we will see more change, but whether that's going to be positive change for the you know the issues that we're concerned about remains to be seen. I'm scared I'm going to disabuse you. Go for it. No, I love your view. <laughs> I love it. I just wish I shared it because picture this. This is a terrible, cynical thing, right? And so, but I, I feel as though we've got to be blunt. We're on Reality Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, so it's going to be a bit of real talk. There's a very fascinating thing about MMP because it's all presented as the tail wagging the dog, and I'm anti-MMP, and, and, and I do get this concept of the tail wagging the dog. But the funny thing is, if you're a responsible politician, the tail doesn't wag the dog at all. So let's imagine this. Let's imagine that, um, National and Act get 60% of the vote. Whoa, they're uneasy. Let's imagine that National have got 40% of the vote of that 60 and Act have got 20%. Whoa, Act have got a lot of say, right? Doesn't work like that. Isn't that crazy? Mm. How crazy is it? Act don't get, well, they've got a third of the vote, no, half the vote of national. So you'd think they'd get a say a third of the time. Doesn't work that way. So this is how it actually works under MMP. You turn up there as David Seymour, Oh, Rodney Hyde, I didn't get to 20, but, you know, same thing. 
you turn up, there's David Seymour, and you walk into the room with Mr. Luxon, and you say, okay, let's talk Turkey, because we've got a former government. <clears throat> I was quite good at negotiating and got quite a good, I think, everyone thought that I had um, negotiated an amazing coalition deal. And I pushed them extremely hard. But Mr. Seymour, so I've been in this exact position in the room with John Key and Bill English, negotiating a coalition agreement. And I knew this was my moment of ultimate power. Because once I had signed that coalition agreement, I was in government with them. And they'd get to have every say. And they would only ask me what I thought about a thing out of politeness or political cunning to keep the thing on track. But they were never going to say, oh, yeah, you're helping us in government, therefore, you know, we will do a third of what you want against our better judgment or interest. So I knew at the point of, before signing that coalition agreement, I could get, let's say, five things. I can't remember the number. So I had to choose very carefully what were the five. And obviously they came out of what we'd promised on the campaign. But I couldn't demand ten. And I couldn't pull the pin. Mm. Because if I'd said, look, Mr. Key, it's all very nice, and I know you've been elected to this prominent position, but you can't form a government without our vote, and you're not giving us enough. At that point, I've just called another election. Mm. Everyone would be looking at you, and they'd be saying, oh, my God. We just went through an election, Chris Luxon won, and now David Seymour is saying no to Chris Luxon and calling another election. And they'd say, why? And he'd say, well, I wanted the Sports Integrity Act changed. <laughs> or I wanted women, uh, men who are transgender, by law, out of women's toilets right? Everyone would say, are you nuts? Yeah. And what would happen is Labour would be gathering in the Greens, would be gathering up their forces. Look at these clowns. They can't even form a government. Act would head into the next election and be wiped out because you caused instability in another election. So even in your moment, even in Mr. Seymour's moment, of extraordinary power, Chris Luxon can't be Prime Minister without Mr. Luxon's, uh, without Mr. Seymour's support. He actually, his bluff can't be called. What about the supply and confidence, like sitting on the crossbenches and just supporting the government on supply and confidence? Is that. Well, let's, let's, as they say, I've got this great phrase from the White House, circle back on that. So then you say, okay. We've signed up, and we think this is a pretty good deal, right? It's not everything that our voters wanted. 
But to be fair, we only got 20% of the vote and they got 40. From that moment on, everything's a vote. Right? You go into cabinet and it's not done by voting, it's sort of done by consensus. But you can read a room and you haven't got the numbers if it comes to that and then you have to go along with the majority. And the Prime Minister's got that room locked up. He's even got you locked up because he can fire you or she can fire you, right? And the one thing you learn in politics is what power is and how to exercise it. And you don't need to get much of a margin to be able to push, throw your weight around. So you're sitting there and saying, well, you know, um, I've got a good idea. And it is an excellent idea, but the majority here aren't interested in it. It's gone. So it's a very peculiar thing about your lack of power. And ultimately, you say to yourself, um, how much do I go along before I pull, a, pull the pin? And again, we value stable government. And if you pull the pin because... They didn't. They they put something in. I'll give you an ex, 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 a, a direct example. I was reforming the councils of Auckland, amalgamate or making one council. I didn't amalgamate them. I made one council instead of nine. And I was emphatic that there wasn't to be a racial divide in voting. And every paper I took to cabinet made that clear Peter Sharples has a chat to John Key and says he wants this and so I, John Key says it sounded a reasonable thing for him to give to the Maori party and I said well that's very well and he advanced it John Key was advancing it and I said just understand this if you do that I won't be minister Now, that pulled him up short because it looked untidy and it was a big deal for me because it was so fundamental to my values and my party's values that we couldn't do it. But I could only really pull that once or twice. I couldn't pull that on a daily basis. And I won that one because John Key didn't want to lose a minister on an issue that actually was embedded in his National Party's constitution. Subsequent to that, we get, I can't remember, a year down the track, and John Keyes cut a deal with Peter Sharples to give us a Maori statutory board. And without, behind my back. And I was horrified and mortified and I opposed it, I voted against it, I voted against it in Parliament, it was my own bill. Wow, yeah. But I made the calculation that the reform that we'd done was precarious, that it was going to be tough to get it done in the three years that we needed to have the local body elections, and that for 
the good of the country, if you like. I just had to suck it up. And I did. And it made me realize you don't actually have that much power. The majority wins in politics. And so the ACT Party isn't going to be the majority. And they have to create this tension with National without creating instability. And National can always call their bluff. And so National's the player here. And if National do this wishy-washy lack of principle, i.e., they're sticking to net zero, for goodness sake. You know, know. The economy's in free fall. People's budgets are killing them. And these guys are going to get rid of fossil fuels or, you know, like tax fossil fuels to death. Oh, my goodness. Make it tough for farmers. Oh, my goodness. Um, he thinks that, you know, keeping men who say they're trans out of women's sports and women's private spaces is an off-the-planet issue. He, the co-governments thing, I have no idea where he is. He seems to me to be all over the map and will go along with it. He'll be led by the nose into, uh, just like John Key was. And then um, the country will be cut to pieces and racially divided even more with Chris Luxon in charge. He won't realise what's happening underneath him. And ACT will be unable to resist it. So then you say to yourself, well, how about we do this? How about we give them confidence and supply so they can maintain a government, but we vote on all legislation on a one-on-one -on -one basis? If you're at 20% of the vote, even 6% of the vote, I don't think that's stable. If Chris Lixon is smart, he'd call an election. And so I can't go Thank you, look this. disruptive and try to get your yes, vote across. Because yeah. you can you can imagine it, right? You just uh can't you can't plan, um, you can't work any legislation through. Um Winston Peters, for example, has got a great skill at not committing to vote for a piece of legislation until the very last minute. And a piece of legislation might be two years in the making and the consulting with the public and the working it out. And literally, when it gets to third reading, he'll pull he'll pull his support. So you have no you 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 you've got no um you actually have like an Italian government situation that just keeps forming and reforming. And the whole story becomes one of instability and of a prime minister unable to deliver. It's also oh, Robbie, very... It's, Robbie, you're not fooling me with much optimism about this coming election. No, well, it's why I hesitated. That's why I hesitated before explaining this, because it is problematic. Uh, um, so, and then for the party that is giving confidence and supply, they're in a very weak position. And this sounds silly, but you're not getting advice and you don't have access to officials and you can't ask for research to be done. We gave confidence and supply, the ACT Party. Um, everyone forgets these things, but it's coming back to me now. I'd sort of forgotten it. When... 
Mrs. Shipley took over as Prime Minister for Mr. Bolger, she had a bit of trouble with Mr. Peters. And the Great Act Party said, well, don't worry about Mr. Peters, because if he goes out the door, we will give you confidence and supply. Sure enough, he went out out the door, and we gave Mrs. Shipley confidence and supply, so she could stay as Prime Minister, which was a pretty cool thing to do. But that come along, I remember Mr. Birch coming along and saying, we would like you to vote for this bill, and I'm going to brief you on it. And me and Richard Pebble went into his office late one night, and he gets up on the whiteboard, and he starts explaining this bill. It was to do with Frontier and restructuring. I don't believe we voted for it. And he's explaining it away for like 30 minutes. And um, we walk out. And I remember walking out of the B. I've not very new to politics. And I said to Richard, I said, I didn't understand a bloody word of that. <laughs> Richard said, me neither. <laughs> How good is he? <laughs> so Bertrand explained this bill to us for 30 minutes, and it was just totally incomprehensible. And then said, well, are you going to vote for it or not? And what did you say? No. <laughs> um, but, you know, you, 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 have, you, you get no... If you're not in the room, like you're not learning what these bills are about. Imagine, imagine deciding whether you're going to vote for that bill that we're just discussing, the Sports and Integrity Bill, and you're giving Grant Robertson confidence supply, and he will c- call you into his office, and you're busy as busy as busy, and you got lots of emails coming in, and he explains to you with a straight face that this bill is about integrity and, and it's about fairness. <laughs> And you think, oh, man, that is so up the act party street, right? Mm-hmm. And then you'll say, um, but I got this email from a lady called Row Edge, and she's telling me that, you know, men who are transgender are going to be able to go into women's sport. And, oh, no, he'd say that'll never happen. And it won't happen because we're going to have these people on the commission. And don't be silly. And you think, oh, God, that's a relief. Right, mm. and he would do that with a straight face to you. So it's a very because people in politics know how to get votes, and they know how to exercise power, and they know how to get their way, and they know how to be persuasive. And so it's going to be very, very tough. It's a very, very tough balancing act and of course you know what you're trying to do is form a stable government with voters having a diverse range of views that are shifting and so it's very very difficult it's not it's not it's not as straightforward as yeah i certainly first thought so there's my little rent on so what I was told when I went over to the International um, Summit on Women's Sport, there was the analogy given that this fight to protect female spaces and fairness in sport is a bit like running a marathon. 
Yes. And so I've got a long way to go on this marathon. I was thinking that maybe we were, you know, getting nearer the end and common sense was starting to prevail, but I can No, see- I'm not trying to put you off it. All, all I'm saying is, you know, I I fear that there's going to be a big disappointment after this election. Yeah, and, and I I'm think just, you're probably right as well. And and but also too, that it is a very simple proposition. It's a yes or no proposition. Do men who are transgender have the right to enter a woman's sport or enter a woman's private space, yes or no? And at the moment, that answer is yes. That's right. And and the, the great thing about that is, is that they can fudge around about fairness and integrity, and you say, no, no. The question is, it's the same thing. I think, about race relations in our constitution. Does every adult have an equal franchise? Yes or no? Uh, it, it's not yeah. about co-governments or Tiriti or the principles of the... They can talk about that till the cows come home and you just bring them back. Yes or no? And these questions can be put to every MP standing for election. Yeah, and, and so, you know, we've... I we've would do that. ...at candidates' meetings, and they'll say, oh, yeah, no, you know, fairness for females is important in sport. And I said, yeah, but the, but they'll say, but it's up to the sports to decide. So you've heard Luxon say that, I've heard Seymour say that. I think Seymour has realised now, because I've drilled into him, that governments created this problem through legislation, yes. governments need to fix it through legislation. Yes. Luxon still doesn't recognise that. He he seems to think that it's up to the sports to decide, ignoring the fact that, you know, Sport New Zealand has passed guidelines that prioritise inclusion, that its Integrity and Sport Recreation Bill now has a rainbow slant on it that will be that will disadvantage women and girls. And so until they unwind that, and that takes government interference in it, and protect women and girls' rights in our Human Rights Act, make sure that they're protected and not misinterpreted as they're being mm. under, under the Human Rights Commission of Paul, Paul Hunt that we have now, then this isn't going to fix itself. And you can't leave it up to sports because sports have their arm twisted right up behind their back by government whose funding they rely on. Mm. Um, and there's a certain sophistry happening here, isn't there? It's a great answer to say it's up to the sports when you and I know they're funded uh, they're supported. Government provides the legislation under which they must operate. The sports themselves say, look, we're having to do this because of legislation. We're having to do this because we've entered this funding agreement. I heard David Seymour say, and I'm still, my head still hasn't settled properly back on my shoulders, say that um, no one was forced to take the vaccine. Right. Mm. And technically, he's right. No one was held down <laughs> and no, but they were chained, chained to the wall and had the chair put in. But yeah. you had to lose your job, lose your house, uh, lose your career. Yeah. Um, no, no, but we didn't force you. You chose to take the jab. And so this idea that it's up to the sport, it's, a, it's an election year sophistry. I've just had a thought for us. You should, um, you'll have supporters' rights through New Zealand. You should get them 
to email because you want it in writing. And lobby groups are very good at this. And you say to the local MP, yes or no. Should women who are transgender, should, should men who are transgender be able to enter A, women's sports as of right, or B, uh, women's private spaces, yes or no? And not allow them it's up to the sport or it's up to the club or whatever because they're the ones seeking your vote. And you can imagine having a dozen people in each electorate, they would get an MP to commit to that. A dozen people could do that before the election. You'll never get them to commit after the election. And then well, you can... Any RCR listeners out there that would like to do that, and I'll put that in our next newsletter going out as well, which yes. I've been meaning to send out for the last month but haven't had time yet. So Be- Because yeah. now's your moment of ultimate power. Yeah, And I do love elections. I do love democracy. We're just not very good at using it. And I, I just thought of it because it's a great, it's it's yes or no. There's no fudging it. There's no co-governance. There's no, oh, well, it depends on CO2 levels or the UN or the blah, 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 blah. No, yes or no. We're asking you, you're seeking my vote in this electorate. Yes or no. And, of course, um, all the ones that don't answer it are a no. Yeah. And you'll say that in your letter. If you don't answer this, you'll be registered as a didn't answer, therefore no. Yeah. You don't have that principle. That'd be wonderful. You know what will happen if you did that? Oh. You've got to do it anyway. <laughs> I yeah. just thought of what will happen. The political leaders or their staffers more particularly or their campaign managers will realise that's happening. They'll send a note to every candidate, do not answer this letter. Mm, they will do. Yeah. And you'll get a hundred percent non-compliance. How sickening is it? But you publicize that too. Yeah. Well, I already know that national party members have been muzzled that don't agree with this. Mm. Well, get it in writing because they'll hate it. They'll absolutely hate it. And I mean, you got a good run from Michael Woodhouse, who's a decent human being. I like him. Yeah. And I'm sad to see, it's probably good for him that he's leaving Parliament, but I remember when he came in, and he's a very decent human being, and he gave you a decent opportunity, and he listened. And there's a, most MPs are like that, funnily enough, and in this election campaign, you can unhook them a little bit, make them uncomfortable, because they should be. We should be holding them to account on this fundamental issue. And when you read, when you read what these poor women and girls have been subjected to um it's horrific mm, the gaslighting is just appalling mm. and um so we've got to put the blowtorch on these mps there you go well that's our thought i i feel as though i got you on to interview and i ended up doing this rant about, oh, but look, uh, it's so, but the politics side of it is so interesting, right? Because we and because we rely on the politicians so much in order to fix this. So, understanding politics and how it works is crucial for us in terms of being able to win this battle as well. So, it's been mm. a really interesting discussion. Well, it's a big machine. 
And um, and the machine is, and poor Mr. Luxon is sort of riding it, and poor Mr. Hipkins is sort of riding it, and you, and, and they're not as directing it as as much as you would think. Can I tell you one little story? I don't know if this is talking out of school. Um, I'll tell it anyway, because it's a funny thing about power. And I I really like John Key. He was super smart. He was super charismatic and he was even more fun one-on-one and he was very truthful and he wouldn't typically like you know politically things happened he went behind your back i guess but like he was very honest there was so much he was a he's a very very capable and special human being and very focused there's so much i admired about him um, and so I, I don't want to be derogatory of him because um, he was one of the great people I've met in my life. But we had a funny moment where Nick Smith was Minister of ACC and it had been opened up for competition and prices had dropped dramatically and people had been getting fixed rather than just treated And um, in the 90s and we'd been involved in that with Mrs. Shipley and Mr. McCulley. And then Helen Clark had got in and reversed it all and destroyed all the private businesses that were doing a good job for um, people who were injured. You know, remember that time? It was was good, good for business, good for those injured. So we went back to the old monolithic, very expensive and very wasteful ACC model. And we'd campaigned for doing a repeat. But, you know, we got only in that many votes and so couldn't pull that off. Nick Smith announced that he was going to be putting up the ACC rates. But, characteristically, his enthusiasm got ahead of him and he hadn't consulted with us, the ACT Party. And I quickly figured out that the Maori Party wouldn't support ACC rates going up. And so the only way that was ever going to happen and ACC was broke was if he got the ACT Party on board. So um, I quickly called an emergency caucus meeting, said we had this opportunity and could they give me the power to act because I needed knew we needed to act quite quickly. And we went into Parliament and I sent a note over to the Prime Minister that he had a problem and we should perhaps talk. And so he and I went into the lobby and I said, look, Prime Minister, I don't mean to be difficult, but uh, you've got a minister that's gone out there and announced that we're going to put these rates up for ACC, but you haven't got the numbers to make this happen. And he said, has Nick spoken to you? Nope. Oh, has he spoken to your ACC spokesman, Heather Roy? So he immensely realized he had a problem. And being a dealmaker, he said, well, what would it take? And I said, a comprehensive review to open up ACC to competition. Hmm. This is a great line. He said, well, I better go and talk to the people that make these decisions. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's brilliant. <laughs> I, I, I said, John, you're the, you're, the, you're the prime minister. And I wasn't a Christian then, so I said, you're the prime minister, goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> he says, yeah, 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 but you know how it works. Like, i got to consult. And um, so it was very, very funny. So he went off and had to consult with the Jerry Brownleys and the Bill Englishes, of course, because, you know, they and the, and the team, which is true, right? And the point about that is all prime ministers are the same. They can make the odd captain's call, but you know, they actually have to keep everyone on board and in the tent. And then he except, when, except when they're scared about winning an election when you see like yes. the captains go off yes. the, the off radar. The, and, yeah. and then the funny thing was we spent a few days back and forth, back and forth, resolving the terms of reference for this review and who'd be on it. And we were literally passing notes on the back of an envelope to conclude it. And we got it, and we were going to announce it. And ahead of the announcement, it was decided that we should meet in the Prime Minister's office and prepare ourselves for the announcement and the press. And to all go up to the Prime Minister's office, and everyone's, you know, going through the questions that could be asked and how the ref getting us all the same lines. And we walked out, and we're going down the lift from the Prime Minister's office in the Beehive across to Parliament. And John Key turns to me and he says, because it was being funny, you know, it's like it's not a negative one. He said, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know why we're having this problem, Rodney. And I says, what do you mean? He says, well, why are we even discussing this? Because markets and competition is what the National Party's all about, right? <laughs> I said, yeah, we're just trying to get you to help you sort of implement National Party policy. He says, right, <laughs> right. So we were having a joke about this going down the lift. Then he goes out and does this press conference, and he's very quick on his feet. He's a tremendous guy, and he's getting interviewed. And I'm gobsmacked. There's probably TV footage of me sitting there with my jaw on the ground because these things had been so finely tuned and John Key got excited about, you know, opening things up, having choice and competition, getting prices down. He went way beyond the terms of reference to, to, to where we'd started a week ago with wanting what we wanted. And it ended up being quite a marvellous review, which they never implemented. Um, but uh, I don't know why I got into that, but it's how – it's those moments when, you know, ACT will get an opportunity and when you're a minister you get an opportunity because you prepare the papers to go to Cabinet and when a minister brings a paper to Cabinet, it's quite extraordinary because you're so busy and the Prime Minister's so busy and officials are all over it, but the politicians themselves are very busy. They keep you busy. They will look at it for downsides. That's all. And mm. part of their downside is, is this person capable? And once they learn that you're capable, you'll get a pretty much a free run unless there's like a big red flag. And so in your portfolio, so if you were the Minister for Sport, you would have a dramatic impact, right? Because you say, well, he's capable. David Seymour's capable in this area, um, say or one of his MPs who becomes a minister, and there's no obvious red flags, and you give them their head. And so they can make, and you can only do that as a minister. You can't do that as supply and confidence. You're only reacting to what others do. 
So there is a great advantage about being in the tent too. Uh, and you can shape it. Um, but I, 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 you and I are looking there and thinking, you know, the, the, the slide that has occurred is not going to be reversed for what we're talking about by politicians heading into the election saying those that worry about toilets are off the planet or B, those that are worried about sports, it's up to the sports. Yeah, and I think it's it's a shame actually Mike Woodhouse has left because he was the sports sports spokesperson for National, and now that he's gone, who's going to be put there? Mm. Well, uh, I'm sorry to, we did have a conversation, but it was a real talk. Bro, Edge, um, you're on Reality Check Radio, you're real talk with Rodney Hyde, we're speaking to Roe Edge, who represents now it's Save. Tell me what the name of your group is. Save Women's Sport Australasia. And there's a webpage that you can go to, Save Women's Sport Australasia. Or just savewomensport.com or .co.nz. And you can join our mailing list too. And then I, you will eventually get my newsletter asking for you to ask mm. politicians mm. that yes, no question. Right. I'm going to be inspired to get that out this weekend. And also follow Roe on Twitter. And this is about whether we're going to have women's sports. This is about whether we're going to have men entering women's changing sheds and toilets. This is about whether we're going to have men in the women's wards in our hospitals. This is about whether we're going to have men in our women's prisons. This is about whether we're going to protect our women and our girls from predatory men. This is about whether we're going to be picking up the newspaper and reading about a young girl raped in a changing area. This is how dramatic this is. I, I, and it's also about this. It's about whether we're teaching our children at school that biological sex is not fixed at conception. That your anatomy is fixed at conception, but you have a gender soul. You have a gender identity that is entirely separate to your anatomy. And we're here to help you to identify your gender soul and your gender identity because you need to be your true self, true to your gender identity. And we have drugs and doctors that can help match your anatomy to your gender identity. Yes, we will cut off your breasts. We'll do, we'll make a penis and put it on you. Or we'll, we'll sterilize you. We'll so you sterilize you. <laughs> and we will turn your penis into a vagina. We'll give you bosoms. And you can be your true gender identity or soul. For, for much less time than you would have lived if you had lived in your own body as, yes. you, as you are. And if we don't do this, you're suicide. So get in, onto the program. This is terrible stuff. It is. This it is. is like societal stuff. Like, you know, what do we want for our future society? And mm. is it this? I don't think so. I don't want my kids taught. I don't want my little girl taught or suggested to her that she is not a girl through and through with every ounce of her being. Yes, she's a tomboy. 
but she's a girl. And she can't be a boy, ever. She can't grow up to be a man. She's a girl who will grow into a woman. That's who she is. And anyone, anyone who's trying to mess with who she is is committing a mental and potentially physical abuse on them. That's how serious this is, isn't it? And it's a serious that we can't even talk about it, that we can't even hold an event, like Let Women Speak in Auckland, we can't even hold an event and talk about the issues that mm -hmm. are concerning us. Mm -hmm. Because so you're an It's about free speech as well. It's it's huge. And so when when we have Lux and say it's just a conversation about bathrooms and no one's interested, that is the biggest bollocks out there. This is about so much more than bathrooms. It's it's about our fundamental rights in society to be able to speak freely and to have protections that are necessary for fairness and safety mm. for everybody. I have friends now who are homeschooling their kids simply on this issue because mm. they feel so strongly that if a teacher is teaching them that they that they have a gender identity separate to their potentially separate to their um, gender anatomy or DNA, that is a toxic environment that they want their kid to have no part of. And I understand that because I feel the same. Yeah, because I think I would that, yeah. yeah, it's a big deal, not as Mr. Lux would have it. And Winston Peters, once again, finger firmly on the pulse of New Zealand. Row Edge, always, always lovely to talk to you. Keep up the tweets, and I look forward to getting your newsletter this weekend. <laughs> Thanks, Rodney. No pressure. <laughs> you take care. You're yes. on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Please send us a text, 2057. Email me, inbox at realitycheck.radio. Uh, we do live in a blessed world when we have the row edges in it, don't we? Thank you so much for listening. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10am.